You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Words like Master, Savior, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Good. More Scripture. I just love singing the Scripture. You know why? Because I think God can write better songs than man can. (laughs) And so we're always on good, safe, firm ground, theologically, when we sing the Scriptures. That's the best thing we can do. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some great songwriters out there that are inspired of the Lord as they write songs and hymns and spiritual songs and those kinds of things, but, boy, we're on just really firm ground where we just sing His Word. Someone put it to music. This morning, I want to do something a little different. I'm going to set the the Gospel of John aside for a few weeks. Uh, For this reason, um, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off uh, starting tomorrow. And uh, I intended to preach John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. And that passage is going to take a couple of weeks to get through. And I did not want to preach the first half of it this morning and then a couple of weeks later come back and preach the second half when you've already forgotten the first half and you know what I mean, how that works. And so I decided this morning then I'll wait. And when I come back, um, Alan will preach next Sunday, Uh, Eddie Blakely who was in worship with us last Sunday, will be leading the worship the next couple of weeks. You're going to enjoy that. Uh, Those of you that were here last Sunday morning, how many of you were here last Sunday morning and got to hear Eddie? Uh, A good buddy of mine from home. Eddie's going to lead worship for the next two weeks. Alan will preach next Sunday. And then we have a mystery guest coming uh, on the Sunday after that. I'll not tell you who it is because I'm sure that someone will will tell you about who's going to come. It's going to be a good time. Uh, He will have just come off of a a week of witnessing uh, on the streets of uh, New Orleans on Bourbon Street. And we'll share with you then that Sunday morning uh, the things that God is teaching him and is showing him. Um, So I hope that you'll be a part of that. I'm going to spend the first week of this short sabbatical leave uh, at the library. I'm going to spend all next week, all day long, at the seminary library just studying, uh, just being refreshed and uh, doing some things that I don't have time to do on a week-to-week basis in the process of preparation and, and pastoral ministry. And then the second week, I'm just going to spend it with my family. Um, there, like many of you, uh, family has taken a back seat for the last, uh, well, several months for many, um, and that shouldn't be. So I'm going to take a, a week and, and spend some time with my, my kids during spring break and uh, with my wife as well. Um, do you accept that? Okay, thank you. I know she does, and I know they do, and I... I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, uh, to do that. The elders have been asking me to do this for a while, and, and, and so I'm going to do it. Um, I need to do it uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I need to do this. Uh, so I would appreciate you praying for me during this time of just taking a few weeks. Uh, I'm looking forward next week to just spending eight hours a day in the library with no particular agenda in mind, just to study and just to pray and spend time with the Lord and see what, uh, get my battery recharged and re-energized uh, 
to be able to come back and, uh, with new vigor and, and enthusiasm. So this morning, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. I'll not begin with an Aggie joke this morning uh, because we've got an awful lot to cover and uh, don't really have a whole lot of time for foolishness. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. Read it with me, if you will, when you get there. And do not get drunk with wine. Baptists usually stop right there. That's enough right there. That's, that's enough verse just right there. Do not get drunk with wine. We forget what the rest of it says. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the reverence or the fear of Christ. The reason that I've come to Ephesians 5 this morning is because it's kind of a continuation of the message that I preached last week in John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. You remember that the, the title of that message or the subject of that message was Christian obedience, learning what it means to walk in the joy of obedience to Christ. And I'll rehash for just a moment. You remember the first point was the secret to obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I said to you then that the secret of obedience and the reason that many Christians struggle with this thing of obedience is because they've never really fallen in love with Jesus Christ. And I said to you then, you can know him as Savior, you can be a child of God, you can be born again, but never, having never developed a love relationship with Christ, then walking in obedience to him is a struggle and is a burden all of your Christian life. So Jesus said the motivation, the secret to obedience is, first of all, loving me. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. The second thing, we talked about the standard of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep not what you think is right, not what seems right in your own eyes, but if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we talked about there that Jesus' commandments is really nothing but his life. Jesus summed up everything he commanded, did he not? So rather than as a child of God living in the era of grace, rather than trying to keep words that are etched in stone, we look at a life, don't we? We look at the life of the Lord Jesus. We look at the life of Christ whom we are growing in love and we are, we are moving toward in love. We look at that life and we want to be like him. And Jesus said, if you love me, that's what's going to happen. You're going to want to keep my commandments. In other words, you want to be like me. And so we look at the life of Christ and we move toward the life of Christ. And then thirdly, there's the strength for obedience. And Jesus says in verse 16, right after verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said, and I will ask the Father and he will send you another helper. And Jesus there is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. And I said to you last week that the, the Christian life is not a difficult life. The Christian life is impossible. It is absolutely impossible. The Christian life cannot be lived in the power of the flesh. That is why Jesus, right after talking about keeping his commandments, talks about the helper. He talks about the Holy Spirit who is going to come, and Jesus said, he is going to be with you always. The Holy Spirit of God. Now remember what I said. The Holy Spirit is a person, is he not? The Holy Spirit is person. The Holy Spirit is not it. The Holy Spirit is a person, just as Jesus Christ is personal, just as God the Father is personal. The Holy Spirit is person. Jesus said, 
He will be with you forever. I will send another, another helper just like me, and he will be with you forever. Now, why is that important? It is important because of this. If you view the Holy Spirit as being some impersonal force, and I said this last week, I'm going to preach the sermon again before it's all over with. If you view the Holy Spirit as being some impersonal force, then the question for you is always going to be this. How can I get control of this force and manipulate this force so that I can get out of this force everything that I want to get out of it? And many people approach the Holy Spirit that way, as an impersonal force. But you see, he's not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person living within us as Jesus Christ. So the question then becomes not how can I manipulate this impersonal force, but for the child of God, the question should be this. How can I come to know this Holy Spirit so well that he is able to give to me everything that he desires to give to me? And that does cast a whole lot different light on the Holy Spirit, does it not? Rather than trying to manipulate the Holy Spirit, we begin to want to come to know the Holy Spirit intimately, personally, just like we want to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ intimately and personally. Now let me phase that question in another way. It is like this. Not only how can I come to know him personally so that he may give to me everything he desires to give. Let me ask the question another way. It's the way that Paul puts it. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? That is what Paul deals with in Ephesians 5 verses 18 through 21. Let me give a couple of preliminary observations before we get into the passage. First of all, this. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Okay? Can we all agree on that? Every believer has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not reserved only for a select super saints, super spiritual. As a matter of fact, Paul says it very clearly in Romans 5, 9. He who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not his. Okay? So the flip side of that is this. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you are His. If you are His, you have the Spirit of Christ. Did you follow that? Okay, we can go on to the next point then. Everyone has the Holy Spirit. All are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Every, all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but all Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the very fact that Paul has to command these Ephesian Christians to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit says that there were probably a whole bunch of them that were not walking in the fullness of the Spirit. But get this. Being filled with the Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit. You get all of Him you're going to get of Him at salvation. He doesn't come in installments. You don't get half of him now and maybe half of him later. You get all of him. He's a person. You can't cut him in half. Because he is personal. When he comes to dwell within you, he comes completely and totally. He moves in lock, stock, and barrel. He brings everything and the kitchen sink with him. So all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but not all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean to get more of the Holy Spirit. It means for the Holy Spirit to get more of you. And that is the fullness of the Spirit of God, to be totally under the influence of the Spirit. 
Now, it's, inter it's always been interesting to me that Paul uses the analogy of getting drunk, and he really does. That's, that's the context in which he speaks this. He says, listen, Ephesians, Ephesian Christians, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it sound like to you that Paul is saying? It sounds to me like he's saying that being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit are somewhat analogous. Now, a few of you have bent the elbow a little bit in your lifestyle, okay? And you know what it's like to be drunk with wine or whatever it happens to be that was your particular uh, choice. When you're drunk, you're under the influence, aren't you? And as a matter of fact, when the police, when my dad was, was in, alive and, and was uh, a heavy, heavy drinker, we, he got arrested many, many times for uh, DWI. You remember DWI? They don't call it that anymore, do they? What do they call it now? DUI, driving under the influence. That's exactly right. Because when you are drunk, you are literally... Paul says, don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what being filled with the Spirit means. It means to be yielded, to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, fourth observation before we get to the message is... Being filled, and I may just do the first point because really that's the one I really wanted to get to this morning anyway. So I may do you a favor. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a continuing experience. It is not a once and for all shot that we get. Because as Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, in the original language that is a verb tense that means continuous action. And so literally translated, this verse would say, be you continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the fullness of the Holy Spirit is not a once and for all shot. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is a moment by moment, day by day, second by second, if you will, continuing experience. And it is given to us in Scripture not as a suggestion. In fact, I'm struck by the fact that Scripture doesn't offer suggestions. <laughs> Scripture offers truths and offers commands to his people. And so this is not given to us as a nice suggestion, as a take-it-or-leave-it scenario. It is given as a command. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be under the influence of that, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a command to Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we are not walking in the fullness of his Spirit, at least seeking to walk in the fullness of his Holy Spirit, then we are denying and we are disobeying a direct command of the Word of God. Now, Paul, in this passage, gives three descriptions. Three descriptions of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does a Christian look like who's filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you've probably seen some manifestations or heard about manifestations before that scared you a little bit about what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you didn't want even a little bit of that, <laughs> okay? Well, just because something can be abused does not mean that it ought to be ignored. We should not ignore this doctrine of being filled with the Holy Spirit because there are abuses, and there are. But folks, we abuse other things, okay? So if we look at some brethren in other places and other persuasions who are abusing the Holy Spirit, they can look back at us and they can say the same things back, okay? 
So we don't point fingers out there. We just try to go to the Word of God, find out what the truth is, and let God minister the truth to us without throwing stones at people outside. Okay? Let's don't throw stones. I used to throw stones at, at my charismatic brothers, and I don't do that anymore. Okay? I don't agree with them at everything that they teach. There's a much that I don't agree with in what they teach, but I love them in Christ Jesus. And just as they have some abuses in their midst, we have abuses in our midst. They're not throwing stones at us. Let's don't throw stones at them. Let's get into the Word of God and let's find out the truth. The Scripture says, and it's not just to the charismatics, but it's to us evangelicals, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul gives a description of what a Holy Spirit-filled Christian is going to look like. But this is interesting, because in the description, there is also a prescription. Not only is he saying, now, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit looks like this, but as I have come to this, this passage of Scripture, I've come to understand that he's also giving a prescription of how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of which came first, the chicken or the egg, Okay. He's describing a spirit-filled description, but if a Christian will begin to practice these three things, the result will be the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's exciting. So this is real practical stuff here this morning, okay? Just talking about the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that this is going to be up there in the clouds somewhere. It's going to be right down here on earth where you and I live. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to know what a Holy Spirit-filled Christian is like? You want to have the joy and the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit? We all do. Certainly we do. If you don't, you're probably not His. You probably don't belong to the Lord if you don't. That's just the truth. It may have been covered up by a lot of stuff, but what child of God doesn't want all of the joy of Jesus? What child of God couldn't want all of the power of Christ that he has available to us in his Holy Spirit. And if you don't want the joy of Jesus, and if you don't want the power of Christ, it's probably... But if you're his, I believe you're going to want it. You're going to want to know. So Paul describes, and he prescribes, and all three of these things, I'm going to tell them to you what for, for the days out. <laughs> Promise. All three of these things deal with relationships. This is free. It's not even in my notes. The older I get, the more I understand the importance of relationships. I've had people tell me that all of my cotton-picking life. And when I was a young whippersnapper, 25, 26-year-old preacher, I would nod my head, yes, you know. But really, I thought other things were really more important. And now that I'm still snotty-nosed, 37, almost 38, I'm beginning to understand that. Not that I am fully practicing it, but I'm beginning to understand that, that relationships really are the most important things. And I'm, I'm discovering that spiritual truth that really means anything always affects relationships. It touches relationships. And it's a struggle for us sometimes, and some of us, who were not raised in a loving environment of taught how to being taught how to relate in relationships in a healthy kind of way. It's difficult for those of us, and I put myself in that category, it's difficult for us sometimes then in later life to, to live our life on the basis of relationships. But what I've come to understand is that every spiritual truth that really means anything at all is tied to relationships. And this description or these prescriptions that Paul gives are tied to relationships. The first one is tied to the relationship with God. The second one is tied to relationship with circumstances, and the third one is tied with relationship to brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And when those three are functioning correctly, as Paul describes it here, what will happen naturally is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It does not have to be some magical and mystical experience. It is that we begin to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit when we relate rightly to God, when we relate rightly to circumstances, and when we relate rightly to brothers and sisters in Christ. The result is, he who lives within has all of us that we have to give. And that is the fullness of the Spirit. So, with 15 minutes left, let's do it. The first description and prescription for the fullness of the Spirit is joyful worship. And I may not get any further than this, this morning. Verse 19 Listen to what he says. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now notice what Paul's talking about. He says singing, speaking, and making melody with your heart, not in your heart just, but with your heart, making melody to the Lord. Now, what is Paul dealing with here? He is talking about a child of God in an attitude of joyful worship and praise. Singing, speaking, making melody. Where to? To the Lord. That's worship. That's what it's all about. And he ties this thing of worship to this thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit as a description of a spirit-filled Christian, a spirit-filled Christian is going to be a joyfully worshiping Christian, but also that's a prescription if you want to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit is to learn how to joyfully worship the Lord. And I'm struck by something here, that worship is an act of the will. It is. Worship is an act of the will. It is a choice that I make as a Christian to worship or not to worship. I do not always feel like worshiping. As many of you, I'm certain, came in this morning from the looks on your faces, <laughs> Sam, and you did not feel like worshiping. I'm not picking on Sam. I just, the Lord just told me to walk up to him this morning and say, Sam, the praise of God is going to lift your spirits today. And I think that's what the Lord wanted Sam to hear. They wanted many others of you out there to hear. You know, you've been out there in the world. You've been battered and bruised all week long. You've been working hard all day. You've been up here working hard all night. At least two or three of you have been. And you've been, you've been doing all of the other things. It's been a difficult week. It should not be any surprise that we should come together on Sunday morning after you and your wife have fought over getting the kids ready and getting him here on time. And she's not getting her hair done or getting her face put on as fast as you want her to, guys. And you got into a screaming, yelling match, perhaps, in the car, even as you were driving onto the property. Is it any wonder that you didn't really feel like worshiping when you walked in here this morning? <laughs> it is very little wonder. So that's why we come in two different cars. <laughs> I do not always feel like worshiping. Thank God, worship is not Tied to my feelings, worship is a choice that I make. And when I make the choice to worship, it blesses God and I am blessed in return. I, there is not a Sunday that goes by 
And this is one of the reasons I love leading the praise and worship. There's not a Sunday that goes by that when I don't come into this place and I'm just lower than a snake's belly and my propeller is just barely windmilling sometimes, I take this microphone and immediately the moment my mouth opens to lead you in praise and worship, the Spirit of the living God does something miraculous in my heart. And I'll tell you, this morning, I didn't feel particularly inspired about worshiping when I came for a lot of different reasons. But the moment I opened my mouth in praise to him, the Spirit of God did something, and he always does. There's something that happens when a child of God joyfully worships the Lord. But it's an act of the will. It is a choice that we must make, for we don't always feel like it. Now, three things about this joyful worship. We've got points and subpoints and subpoints to the subpoints, but we'll get through it all. Notice what Paul says about the method, the method of worship. He says singing, ah, singing. And he says psalms, he says hymns, he says spiritual songs. Now hymns and spiritual songs were probably contemporary kinds of things in the first century church. You see, they had songwriters too. Been songwriters since man began to sing, which was from the very beginning, I suspect. And so there were folks in the church, in the first century church, that were writing hymns and were writing spiritual songs. They were contemporary kinds of songs of worship and praise. But he mentioned something else. He says psalms. And I think when he says psalms there, he is specifically referring to the psalms of David. He is specifically referring to Scripture itself. That he says sing songs, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs, but sing the psalms as well. Singing the Word of God. There are a lot of injunctions in the Scripture itself for us to sing to the Lord. And the primary method of worship that God has ordained, I believe, is singing to Him. We are commanded on virtually every page of the Scripture to sing to the Lord, to honor Him and to praise Him. Exodus 15, 1, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. There's a song that's written from that verse of Scripture. Psalm 59, verses 16 through 17, But as for me, I shall sing of thy strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of thy loving kindness in the morning, for thou hast been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 40, verse 3, And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. I will sing, Psalm 89, 1, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known thy faithfulness with my mouth. Psalm 96, 1, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all of the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Am I talking too fast for you? I'm trying to pack a three-hour sermon in 45 minutes. Psalm 103, verse 1. I love this. This is one of my favorite ones. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David says, bless my soul. Why do we sing? Because we are commanded to. Because when we sing, it blesses God. And when we sing, it blesses God's people. As we bless him, he blesses us. Something that's interesting to me in Psalm 103 is that David is giving a command to his soul. Did you get that? David says, soul, bless the Lord. 
That's what he says. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David's making a choice to worship. You ever study the life of David? I guarantee you, a lot of times that old boy didn't feel like worshiping. You know, when Saul's trying to drive spears through him and nail him to the wall? When his own sons are on his, on his trail trying to take his life so they can usurp his throne. He didn't feel like worshiping and praising after Bathsheba. Do When the prophet came in and pointed to him and said, you're the man. Whew, that's not a time to worship from the flesh. But you look at David's life, all of David's life, in failure and in victory, in joy and in sorrow, he was saying to his soul, soul, bless the Lord. Because David understood something, that worship and praise, lifts the spirit, worship and praise, anoints the heart. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Joyful worship. Listen, the method, singing, singing. You say, I can't sing, James. So what? God is tone deaf. Now, I'm not. I may not enjoy listening to you, but God will. Okay? So if you're tone deaf, sing in the shower in your car. No, I'm just kidding. Just sing. It doesn't matter where. Give your wife a break, men. Don't sing in front of her. But just sing to the Lord. God is tone deaf. Make a joyful noise, as the Scripture says. Do it unto the Lord. Now, listen. Here's the method. A joyful worship. Something begins to happen in a believer's heart as to the Holy Spirit when he begins to learn to release praise to the Lord. Singing. Listen, the means. He says, making melody with the heart. There's the means. This singing is not just with the mouth, but it is with the heart. You could literally translate that by means of the heart. Singing by means of the heart. What picture do you get there? Well, these instru instrumentalists played these instruments this morning, didn't they? They were making music how? By means of the piano, by means of the trumpet, by means of the bass guitar, by means of the flute. It was the instrument with which they were making music and praising the Lord. That's exactly how Paul views the heart here. He says, making melody by means of the heart. The heart being a musical instrument that is making melody to the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before that the heart is the very core of the being in Scripture. It is the part that Scripture says that God makes His appeal to us. It is also the part of our makeup by which we respond to the Lord when He appeals. It is the place from which desires come. Now, if you have a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel talks about, Lord, take this heart of stone out of me and give me a heart of flesh. If you have a heart of flesh, then the flesh the heart responds with a desire for God. If you have a heart of stone, then the heart responds with no desire for the Lord. But all that we do begins with the heart. That means that true worship 
begins in the heart. It begins by desiring Him. Did you get that? Making melody with your heart. Making melody by means of the heart. And that begins with a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. It, mean, it, it begins with a heart that desires God. And if you don't begin there, then you'll never worship the Lord. If you don't have a heart of flesh desiring God, then you will never learn what it means to worship. Now, this is an important, important point I really want to get to. Something that God has been teaching me for a while. I've discovered that when I worship from the heart, God, soon my soul becomes involved. When I worship the Lord with my heart, desiring Him, soon my soul becomes involved. And the reverse of that is true. If my soul never gets involved in worship, then soon my heart becomes cold. If I worship with my heart, then soon my soul gets involved. But if my soul never touches my worship, then soon my worship becomes cold, dead ritual. Now last week I pointed you to a passage of Scripture. I inadvertently pointed you to the wrong one. It is in Matthew, but it really I meant to point you to Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where Jesus tells us how to love God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Four things that make up the total character of man. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So worship, just like loving Christ, begins in the heart. It must begin in the heart. But listen, folks. Worship that begins in the heart has ultimately and eventually got to touch the soul. And if it doesn't touch the, whole, the soul, then the heart grows cold. Now, what do I mean by the soul? I told you last week that the closest thing that we have to understanding what the soul is when the soul is spoken of in most places in the Scripture has to do with the emotions and the will of man. The soul of man is basically the soulish part of man, which is the emotions and the will. And so what I'm saying to you is this, that the means of worship is or the method of worship is singing, the means of worship is with the heart. It begins there. But it must eventually include the soul. Just like loving Christ is not enough just to love Him with your heart. You've got to love Him with your soul. You've got to love Him with your mind. You've got to love Him with your strength. All of man. Now, when I say that to a bunch of Baptists, or we're, 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 just, we're really a makeup of a bunch of different things, some of you that are members of this church still don't consider yourself to be a Baptist. Well, that's okay. But when I say that to a bunch like you, a bunch of just good old hard-shell conservative evangelicals, not hard-shell Baptist, okay? We don't make that claim. But when I say that to you, immediately in some of you, this red flag goes up. Uh-oh, what's James talking about? What's the preacher say? He's talking about emotion in worship. And immediately something goes off inside of you that stares you. 
because you think I'm fixing to have you rolling down the aisles any minute <laughs> and jump in the, uh, not a pew, but jump in a chair. There are folks that do that. Again, I'm not going to throw stones. That's not for me. But I'm not going to throw stones at anybody. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm really not advocating anything beyond what is personal between you and the Lord. You see, I'm not going to stand up here and prescribe anything to you other than what Scripture says. And what God the Father and the Holy Spirit leads you to do in good taste and decently and in order, then go for it. But remember those things in good taste and decently and in order. And I think that when you're walking with the Lord and you're really following Him, what you do will be in good taste and it will be decent and it will be in order. If it's of God. And if it is not, it is not of God. But that scares many when I talk about emotion and worship, the soul becoming a part of the worship experience because you're so afraid of all of the, uh, the abuses. And you know what we do? Let me indict us all for just a moment. We are so afraid of abuses that what we do is we close our soul to the Lord. And that's where many of us are. We are so afraid of the emotions taking charge, if you will. And we are so afraid of abusing what is good and what is honorable before the Lord that we respond to the other side of this thing and we begin to close off our soul. You see, we don't have any problem worshiping the Lord with our mind, do we? We put a great deal of emphasis on Scripture. And we ought to. It's the Word of God, the infallible, the inerrant Word of God. We put a great deal of emphasis upon preaching the Scripture verse by verse, teaching the Scripture verse by verse, memorizing the Scripture verse by verse. Med I know no better way. And we, we have a, a no problem at all worshiping the Lord with our mind. We are worshiping God in preaching. We are worshiping God in teaching. We are worshiping God in the study of His Word. We don't have a problem with that. We don't even have a problem worshiping the Lord with our strength. Remember we're talking about heart, soul, mind, and strength here? We don't have a problem worshiping the Lord with His strength. Oh, Baptists are real good about this. Oh, man, we've been serving faithfully. We've been doing all of the things that we're supposed to do. And what do we do? We call that worshiping the Lord with our service. And we are, hopefully, sometimes. We don't have any trouble at all worshiping the Lord with our mind. We don't have any trouble worshiping the Lord with our strength. But when it comes to the soul, we close it up. Because we are afraid of what it's going to look like. And the result is cold, dead ritual. And in church buildings around this globe this morning, that is what is taking place in many places. Mind worship, strength worship, even heart worship, but no soul worship because we are afraid of that. And so we close our souls and do not let our soul become involved. But listen, worship that begins in the heart must sometime touch the soul or it becomes dead and empty. Let me share something with you very practically. Many of you have come to the place and I believe that is of the Lord, where you are so totally dissatisfied with religion 
You were so totally dissatisfied with ritual. You were dissatisfied with all of the programs that are promoted. You're even dissatisfied with all of the knowledge. I came to this about a year and a half ago where I looked at all of the schooling I had. I looked at all of the knowledge I'd gained and somehow or another it just was empty dust to me. It was just dry dust. And I'd always been proud of it. I'd always been proud of my degrees. I'd been proud of my memorization of the Scripture. I'd been proud of my theology that I had read and that I had even written some. But one day, about a year and a half ago, I woke up one day and I looked at it all and I said, it doesn't satisfy me anymore. It's empty. It's empty. And some of you are that place. I shared with a brother this week for four and a half hours that is at that place. He's memorized reams of Scripture. For a layman, he studied mounds of theology. He's taught hundreds and even thousands of Sunday school lessons, and his admission was this, there's no joy in Christ. And some of you are at that place. You've done all the programs. You've memorized all the Scripture. You've worshipped Him with your mind. You've worshipped Him with your strength. And all of those things that we have been guilty of promoting as the highest achievement of the Christian life. Don't we do that? Who do we promote as spiritual giants, those that have got most Scripture memorized? Are those that can talk theology for the longest and the hardest? That's who we promote in our churches as being spiritual men and women of God. And sometimes they are, but that's not always the case. For oftentimes, it is nothing but dust. Nothing but dust. And some of you are there. And you've been dissatisfied with the dust for a long time. Because you've closed your soul to God. Out of fear or whatever, you've worshipped with your mind, you've worshipped with your strength. Even with your heart, there's a desire there. But it is just a flickering desire now because it hasn't touched your soul. You've closed your soul to the Lord. And the fullness of the Spirit of the living God has been quenched. You see, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit here. And I believe that a great step forward in the fullness of the Spirit is learning how to worship, learning how to release praise to God. And worship that comes from the heart has got to touch the soul, and if it never touches the soul, then the heart dies. I don't care how much Scripture you've got memorized. I don't don't care how much theology you know. It dies. It's dead. It's empty. It's, it means nothing. To you or to the Lord, but we continue to wear the front. We continue to build the image. And we walk in joyless, powerless, having a form of religion, but denying the power thereof. I love the story that Dr. Clyde Fant used to tell. My wife's pastor growing up, First Baptist Church of Richardson, Texas, Dr. Fant is a great preacher, great theologian. The church in First Baptist Church of Richardson, where my wife grew up, had a ministry to children who were mentally retarded, who were disabled mentally. And periodically, Dr. Fant would go out about once a month and would be in the Sunday school class with these little boys and girls. And he said the thing that they love to do more than anything is sing. 
And, you know, he, he liked music and loved to sing. So he would sit down with them and he would just take the role as song leader with the boys and girls there in, in the class. And he said one particular one day we were singing along, we were singing a song and we finished that. And I wanted to begin to, you know, to talk to the boys and girls. But one little boy said, no, let's sing another song. So we always sing another song. We got to the end of that and another little boy said, no, let's sing, a, sing another song. He said, we sang for about 20 or 30 minutes. And he said, finally, after we'd sung one particularly just real rousing song, a little boy jumped up and he said, Hooray! <laughs> and Dr. Fant, I remember saying, you know, that's what our worship ought to be like. We ought to, we ought to experience an Olay kind of worship, not an Olay me down, but an Olay kind of worship. You know, where the song gets involved, not just the mind, not just the strength, but releasing praise, letting it touch your soul. Letting it touch your emotions. And for you folks, that might be raising your hands. For you, it might be closing your eyes to the Lord. For you, it might just be bowing your head, whatever it is, but let your worship touch your soul. It breaks my heart. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, when I stand here and lead in praise, and the Spirit of God is just ministering to me, and I look out there and I see this. And some of you don't even know you're doing it. You're not doing it to me, you're doing it to God. You're saying, I will not let go. You see, this is not just a body posture. This is a statement of the heart right here. And so the, re the result is often dust, joylessness, powerlessness. See, Paul's not only giving a description of a spirit-filled Christian here. He's giving a prescription. You want the fullness of the Spirit? It begins with joyful worship. I really believe that. Someone who cannot joyfully worship cannot be filled. For this, listen to what Scripture says. God inhabits the praises of His people. He dwells there in the midst of that. Let Him touch your motives, your heart, and your soul. I will quit. I will finish this again some other time. The second point is constant thanksgiving. I have to deal with that another day. The third point is mutual submission, not husbands and wives, one to another, Christians. Verse 21, before he even mentions wives, be submissive to your husbands, he says, and submit yourselves one to another. You see, it's not only joyful worship. That's where it begins, worship from the heart. It's not only learning to live in a consistent state of thanksgiving, regardless of circumstances. But it's also mutual submission. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we are so guilty of walking in pride to one another. Got to have my way, want my way. Got my agenda. I'm going to get my agenda through. But you see, God resists the proud. That's not a spirit of submission. And it's the hardest thing for Christians to ever come to is a spirit of submission to one to another. Because you see, man's original sin was rebellion. And it has continued to be. Man's original sin was pride. I will be like God. 
It's what they said. And it continues to be. And all of that quenches the Spirit of God. See, Paul told Christian, a spirit-filled Christian is a, a worshiping Christian, joyfully worshiping the Lord. Is a Christian that relates to his circumstance with constant thanksgiving, not because the circumstance is good, but because he serves a sovereign God. And his sovereign God is sovereign over that circumstance. And that child of God recognizes that. And when I don't recognize that, I quench the spirit. And then mutual submission, one to another. Taking the attitude of submitting one to another. Because the, the opposite of that is pride. It is rebellion. And rebellion, the Old Testament says, is as the sin of witchcraft and sorcery. A rebellious heart is a sorcery kind of heart. It's an idolatrous kind of heart. What does that do? It quenches the spirit. A spirit-filled Christian is a worshiping Christian, a thankful Christian, a submissive Christian one to another. That's what we look like when we walk in the fullness. But that's also the way to get there. That's the way to get there. Let your worship touch your soul. Begin to practice, make a choice of the will. In my circumstance, I will thank God. Not because the circumstance is good and I'm enjoying myself, but because he is sovereign over that circumstance. And you begin to sense the fullness beginning to be released. And then finally, deciding that your agenda is not the most important agenda in the church. Let me preach to myself here for a while. Your agenda, my agenda is not the most important agenda. God's agenda is what is important. And so voluntarily submitting ourselves one to another. And as we learn to do that, the Spirit begins to flow. The Spirit begins to fill. Because when I can let go of my agenda, I'm not seeking my own way. And the Spirit then is able to fill me. He's able to be released. Oh, I know these are strange words to many of your ears. But I believe they're the truths as I understand them from what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we bless you and praise you for bringing us to the point of dissatisfaction with just dust. Lord, I thank you for some people right here, right now, that you have spoken to, that you have opened a window into their understanding about the joylessness, the powerlessness, to begin to learn how to worship you, a truth, spirit, to let that worship have some soul, let it touch the emotions and breathe new life. Lord, we ask you in this time to do as you will. Without human manipulation, just with the Spirit of the living God, moving men and women and boys and girls to make commitments of life to Christ Jesus as Savior. Make commitments to your people, the body of believers, like it becoming a part of the fellowship. We commit this time to you, Lord, and we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.